0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the fool? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, and the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was in the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of people that each of you has in your tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered up some more, some less, but when they measured it, it was an omer. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and who had gathered little lacked nothing. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated if you are in kindergarten through fifth grade uh, you can go now to children's church and meet our volunteers in the back by the kids zone sign if this is your first time um, parents please go with them so that we can get them
1: checked in thank you karis well we are in the book of exodus we are looking at the way God has delivered his people, but but certainly what it looks like on the road after deliverance, how God provides for his people. He's journeying them toward the promised land, and what will he give them along the way? We're looking at those markers and notes. And so this morning, uh, we will see, we're beginning to build this pattern of uh, like the old Batman, Adam West in the TV show, every time an episode would end, it would say, come back next week or next episode at the same bat time, the same bat channel. And what we're seeing in Exodus is the people are creating these themes. Same people, same themes, same rhythms. God would provide for them and they'd grumble. They'd grumble, God would provide. It just is a non-stop movement and, and chorus. The exodus from Egypt, it's a provision. God provides. And they leave Egypt and they're weak and fearful as they cry out and grumble. So God gives them the pillars that he will lead them, the the fire at night and the cloud by day. That provision. And then what do they do? They get to the Red Sea, the edge of it, and Egypt is coming back to take them back as slaves or to kill them, and they grumble and they cry out. What does God do? A provision opens up the sea. They walk through it and they sing a song. And now we see the response, this next episode of grumbling, and God again will do what he always does. He provides. And so this morning, we've said that Exodus, this whole entire series, is our biography. That if we look at it, you are in this story, and I'm in this story, and the Israelites are us. And we'll see in this chapter of Exodus 16, the question for us and for the Israelites is answered. And that question is, are, are you really going to take care of my needs, God? When I lack, when I have a great need, when I'm running a deficit, will you show up? God, are you really going to take care of my needs and my lack? And so this morning, we'll see that uh, first that our, our, our lack Writes stories. Our lack writes stories. Uh, second, that our lack requires trusts. And third, that our lack ushers in satisfaction. And so, with that in mind, let's pray as we begin to study God's Word together. Let's pray. Lord, we all just sang out together that uh, when we taste your goodness, We shall not want. This very day, Lord, whether we are living in your goodness and know it and are feasting on it, or whether we've just heard about it and we've found ourselves in a room like this, would you, by the power of your spirit, move in us and move in our hearts so that we would taste your goodness this very moment. That's the business you are in because you're the God of the Israelites where you provide even amid grumbling. And Lord, you're the God of us that you provide even amid our crying out and our grumbling. We pray this King Jesus, because you are on the throne and you love for us to make much of you and your cross. May we do it this very day, we pray, amen. Uh, so first, our, our lack writes stories. Our lack right stories. Um, this is not dramatic. I'm, I'm grabbing this cup of water. So um, our lack right stories. This is not the first time in the Bible, but they have certainly mastered the art of being hangry. They're hungry and they're angry. And what do they do? They're crying out and groaning and grumbling to God. And they say to him amid their hunger, they say in verse one and on, uh, they set out, the people of Israel, set out from Elam, And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. When we read that text this past Monday, Sammy said, Israel is just so emo, right? They're just so emotional, they're so charged. And their stomachs is is the guiding rudder for everything that they have done in this chapter. This anger is not really led up to. It's pretty rash and sudden. And they come to the conclusion amid their hunger that they're questioning God's character. Amid the thing that they feel, they immediately go to and lash out at God and they question his character. And their mind tells them something. What does it tell them? This revisionist history. Amid their lack, they feel this revisionist history because they look back at Egypt. And in Egypt, they were for 400 years slaves under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I am God and you are my slaves. And they look back at that being whipped and torn down and belittled. And they say that that place was like the golden corral where they had everything they wanted and ate until their bellies were full. Revisionist history. And they look at the reality now and say, God, you have led us out here to die. Why didn't you just kill us there? Because at least there we had full stomachs. They're saying, God, you've said you're good and you said you provided for us. And yet Pharaoh's accommodations are more than what you've given us. Why do they have this revisionist history? Why would they say that? And it's because for them and for us, when we lack, we write stories. When we go without, when we know not, we write stories, we write narratives. When we lack something, we have one point of the past experience and one point of our present emotions, and we will make a connection. And that connection is a story that we write to make sense of reality. So they look back on, on Egypt. They said, hey, we had Pharaoh there as our leader, and we had food. And now we have God as our leader, and Moses and Aaron as our leader, and we have no food. And they're connecting those two dots. And this narrative that they say is, you have brought us here to die. You are not good after all, God. And the places that they write the narrative of and that we write the narrative of are often the places where we long to feel justified. Where we long to assume the worst in someone else so that we get what we can do to make sense of our reality and our past experiences. When we lack, we write stories and write narratives. And as we do it, this mob mentality is in our heads cheering us on and saying, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right, as we're writing these falsified, quickly written narratives. And in our thinking, when we lack, when we write these narratives, humility is often cast as a weakness. Because humility would say that we shouldn't think what we're thinking, but our humility would say that we're losing a battle, or we're justified to win. And because of that, we play a tape in our heads. For them, it was bread and manna and hunger. But for us, it, it's, we, we too, when we lack, we write a narrative. When we have these two points, we want to make sense of it. That when you think of your workplace relationships, when you think about the boss man or a peer, you can feel so much. And because of that, you write a story. Uh, that when you think of the parting words in a conversation from a spouse, you could drive in your car and you can think how manipulative that was. When you think of the small belittling comments that aren't fresh, but actually are, w- are way deep in your past and in your story that you heard from someone, you begin to write a story and a narrative. Same as the Israelites we today would rather be bitter with a quickly drawn false narrative that justifies ourselves than being still with lacking an explanation and meaning and for us it could be a new number of things we could lack confidence and and everyone thinks that we're small and we're always looked down on by others that we could lack connection that, that we are just unwanted. It's who we are. And so we should go to some kind of falsified intimacy to get a fill. That we could lack clarity and we're resigned to the worst option out there because the fog will never lift. We could lack purpose and you are a misfit toy that blows like a tumbleweed in, a, in the world of meaning that everyone else has except you. You could lack peace and you find comfort in fear because at least it tells you something. When we lack, we write stories to make sense of our world. And for the Israelites, they were lacking bread, and they quickly jumped, irrationally jumped, to say, God, you have brought us out here to kill us via hunger. And when we lack, when we can't make sense of things, we write stories, and we ourselves are the victims and not the ones who are God's beloved. When we lack, we write stories. But when we lack, God has another purpose in mind. And it's where the second idea comes. When we lack, it's where we are required to trust. Our lack requires trust. Now, verses 4 to 17, it's a a big honker. There's a lot of verses in there. And that's what you've known as you've had the scripture reader each and every week read. You're thinking to yourself, uh, is there an aid station somewhere? I, I, this, is, this is a lot. It's a long, it's a long road. So uh, verses 4 to 17, I won't read them. But in that, we see the intent that, that Moses gets to see behind what God provides for his people. And in verse 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. What does God do? He gives them the exact thing they ask for. When they grumble and they ask for something and they say they had it in Egypt, he says, okay, you want it? Here it is. I'm happy to give it to you. He gives them bread and he gives them quail, meat. And the way that he gives it to them is a way in which it will require trust of them. That each day they'll have to go out and grab their daily allotments for the people who are in their tent, it said, in their house, and and gather just enough for them and bring it back to them. God is giving them exactly what they need, exactly what they ask for, and it all is to say Their place of lack is going to be an arena, a place of trust. Where it said, that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. Whether you trust God, this will be a litmus test for you. You will see if they trust God enough to provide. Because God in this is trying to cultivate in them this thought. I'm only going to take this much bread and this much quail, Because I know when I come back tomorrow morning, God will have the very thing that I need waiting for me then. I can trust his provision for me. He won't run out or leave me lacking. That's what God is trying to cultivate in them and in us. And the hard thing about that is this. The resistance to that thought is this. When we lack, trust is required. And it's hard because when trust is required, everything that vies for your allegiance and my allegiance will show up. Everything that wants you will show up and ask much of you when you have to trust and you're lacking, right? Simply put, when you don't have anything to save you, you will quickly see the rescue boat that you most naturally swim toward. In the Gospels, it's, it's in the New Testament, the first book's in the New Testament, and there's four of them, and it talks about the life and the work and ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the Gospel, there's four of them. Mark is one of them, and in Mark chapter 10, Mark writes and tells this, this uh, scene how Jesus encounters two separate groups of people, and they're valued differently by Jesus and by the disciples. And in Mark 10, it tells about the rich young ruler, and right before the rich young ruler, it tells us about how Jesus encounters children. And so let's read it together. In verse 13 and on, it says in Mark 10, uh, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Give the to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What's clear from Mark 10 on the rich young ruler and the children is that Jesus has an undivided disposition towards those who lack. And this differs from the disciples. The people who the the disciples uh, pushed away and called invaluable were the children. These vacuum of resources who offered nothing and took everything, who had nothing to offer except their lack and their need. And the people that the disciples gave a VIP pass to to get directly through the crowd, through security to Jesus, was the rich young ruler. Because they looked at the rich young ruler and said, "You know what? He has what we need. We could benefit from what he's got to offer. He's rich. He's got money, affluence. He's he's young. He's spry. He's got clout and charisma. Uh, He he's 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 got power. He's a ruler, and also he's got knowledge." Right? He says, I've kept these things, the second half of the Ten Commandments, since I was a little boy. And when Jesus shines a light on him, on this one little thought, because he loves him, it ruins him. And one thing is clear of what he lacked, and Jesus wants him to know it a clear need for Jesus to be his king over money and resources or comfort and capital and connections. He had the second half of the Ten Commandments down pat. And the first half of the Ten Commandments, he couldn't accomplish because he couldn't give up the thing that he loved so much. And like the rich young ruler and like the Israelites, I so easily want... God to be enough without having to trust him to be enough. And in that way, I'm my own version of God, that I have everything and nothing is asked of me. And yet the place of our lack is a place of trust. And that's a very merciful thing. The place we need to be is a place of trust. And the, the highway to it is when we have nothing to offer when we lack much. One thing that Mitch Grothaus, an elder here, has articulated that the entire session, all the elders have felt deeply, is the phrase that God is teeing us up for a faith move. There's much that we lack, and God will provide It's not about this Old Testament story that attests to it. It's about the nitty-gritty of life in our world and in your world. It's when you don't have a lifeline or a crutch to stand on, and you have to have God show up. The place of lack is a place of trust, and we get to revel in that. Uh, Theologian and priest Henry Nouwen said this. He said, how can we embrace poverty as a way to God when everyone around us wants to become rich? Poverty has many forms. We have to ask ourselves, what is my poverty? Is it a lack of money? A lack of emotional stability? A lack of a loving partner? A lack of security? Lack of safety? Lack of self-confidence? Each human being has a place of poverty. That's the place where God wants to dwell. How blessed are the poor, Jesus says in Matthew 5. This means that our blessing is hidden in our poverty. We're so inclined to cover up our poverty and ignore it that we often miss the opportunity to discover God. Let's dare to see our poverty as the land where our treasure is hidden. The place of our lack, the place of our poverty, a deficiency, your need, the where you are not enough. God says, revel in that place because it amplifies your need of me. And I'm going to be enough. How much are you going to let me be enough though for you? Let's dare to see our poverty as the land where our treasure is hidden where we lack is a place where we have to trust and a place where we have to trust God in being enough he won't waste which leads us to this last thought that our lack ushers in satisfaction our lack ushers in satisfaction now they've they said hey we had this meat and this bread in Egypt and we don't have it now why don't we just die then in Egypt, God says, I hear you. And I'm going to give you the thing that you thought you had, and you didn't. That you thought you had, I'm going to give it to you right here. And what you have to do to get it is this, nothing. Nothing. It's literally going to come down from heaven each morning and just be there. Birds are going to be quail, the meat is going to be there, and the bread is going to be there on the ground. You have to do nothing for it. They ask for meat and bread, and they get it. And what is the scene that happens when they see the thing that they get, the thing that they ask for? Manna is there, the bread is there, and they walk up to it and they say this, what is that? Right, the Bible is funny and satirical because the word for what is it is manna. So every time they eat manna in the wilderness. They have to remember how they doubted God. And they said, what is this thing? We asked for bread, but what is this? And yet God provides for them satisfaction in a really particular way too. Because in verse 17 it says, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered. They gathered some more and some less, but when they measured it with an omer, which is a, it's a measuring device then, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. There's this inversion. The people who said, you know what, I've got to gather as much as I can to store up for, for the winter and store up because I'm not going to have this tomorrow. The, the thing they gathered up as security and a fallback plan for a rainy day rotted. And actually, there, there's, there's a, no delineation when it says, when you hoard things up, you yourself will rot. And yet God says of the people who gathered exactly what they needed for the day because they knew tomorrow morning, I'm gonna come back to this place and God will have exactly what I need. It said they had no lack The places that we lack, God offers satisfaction in, provision in, fullness in. And the lesson that Israel has to learn over and over and over again, and if this is our biography, we have to learn and have enough humility to say this is our lesson too. The lesson that they and we have to learn over and over again is that when we deal with someone who has limitless resources, it's not if God's going to run out. The question is, if we're going to trust him enough to provide in the way that he provides for us. Are we going to trust him to be enough for us? And they'll learn that in the wilderness. And you're probably in some kind of wilderness too in your life. And you're having to learn that in these case studies and seasons and conversations and episodes. He who has Limitless resources will provide for you so that you are satisfied. They will learn that in the wilderness, and we will learn that in our lives. And yet, this is something that Jesus himself won't even know. Because for the Israelites, they left Egypt and they went through the waters, they walked through the waters of the Red Sea. On the other side of the waters, God provided manna for 40 years. For Jesus, he went in the waters of baptism. When he came out, he went right into the wilderness for 40 days, not 40 years, 40 days, was tempted by Satan, was hungry and fasted, and he did not have bread. He himself was the perfect Israel who, when he was hungry, did not grumble at God. And yet, his people will get what they undeservedly receive because of his sacrificial deferential spirit for them. He sacrificially just deferred bread in the wilderness so we would always eat. He doesn't just know our hunger, he gives himself to satisfy us in our hunger. Because in, in another gospel, in John 6, it says how Jesus is this person. And this person is that he's the bread of life. And in John 6, it says this. People are asking him. It said they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you, Jesus? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very, very truly, I tell you, It is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the whole world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And later on in verse 41 of chapter 6, it says, At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. In Exodus 16, what we see is that the Israelites grumbled because God's provision for them as his people wasn't there. And they don't believe that he will provide. And in John 6, we see that the people grumble, look right at Jesus, right at the provision for all of humanity, and they say, how could you say this? And in Exodus 16 manna was given from heaven so that God's people would cultivate in themselves a trust that he will provide for me. And in John 6, we see that Jesus was given so that when we know lack, we look at him and say, Jesus has provided enough for me. When we lack, our God is a God who says, I don't just know how you hunger so as to know your feelings to have empathy for you. I know your hunger to the point where I'm going to provide for you in a way that you are satisfied to the full and you'll never have to hunger again. I am the bread of life. The manna has come down from heaven and together we eat of it and know no lack. He has come for you to feed you and I so that we'll never know lack again. Let's pray. Lord, just as you told people about the promise of God giving bread from heaven, it wasn't Moses or Aaron, it was God who did that. When you, Jesus, told those people about it, they said, always give us this bread. And then you said, I'm the bread of life. When we hear of the news that you are a God of provision, and Jesus, you are the person of provision, may we say in response, Always give us this bread. Jesus, always give us yourself. Because we are tired of the stories that we write and the narrative that our lacks drive in us. We ask this by the power of your Spirit, who doesn't just know us, but the power of the Spirit who makes much of Jesus so that we ourselves are satisfied by an empty tomb. May we walk out with you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Who doesn't just know us, but the power of the Spirit who makes much of Jesus so that we ourselves are satisfied by an empty tomb. May we walk out with you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.